Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Good morning, warriors. Time to start your day. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today we have a conversation with a warrior I've come to know well through the Courage Club. Now the Courage Club is a community that inspires healing and personal growth that's powered by recovery warriors. And our guest today is Tiffany Folk. And I've just had the immense pleasure of witnessing her take on recovery with a fierce determination and reach momentous milestones. I first got to know her back in 2020, pretty much at the start of the pandemic, when she joined the Courage Club. And at this point in time, she was really looking for a change. You know, after years and years and years and years and years of struggling with an eating disorder, she was looking to see something shift. And often when they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And for Tiffany, that was the case. Not only was it the teachings that she got, but it was also the community and support. She was able to receive the training, accountability, structure and community support that she needed to make real change happen. And if you, my dear warrior, want some extra support and accountability and just structure, I highly recommend you check out our daily growth habit. This is a free audio library of affirmations that you can listen to right on your podcast player, but it's private, meaning you have to request an invitation to get access to it. All you have to do to get access is go to recoverywarriors.com slash habit. We'll be adding new affirmations throughout the whole year. These affirmations are designed to help you grow your self-esteem, weed out toxic eating disorder thoughts, and empower you rain or shine. These affirmations are completely free. No credit card is needed, but you do have to go to recoverywarriors.com slash habit to request your free invite to get access. Once again, sign up on our website at recoverywarriors.com slash habit, and that link is easily accessible down below in your episode notes for this show. Now, back to Tiffany. When we first met, she felt so alone in her recovery. She was dropped from her intensive outpatient program and told that she had to go to residential. But due to insurance issues, this wasn't even an option for her. So Tiffany became an advocate for herself and took recovery into her own hands. She got a new therapist, a coach, and joined Recovery Warriors Courage Club. She's now in a completely different place and surrounded by support and healing. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. I'm so grateful to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've absolutely loved getting to know you and see you grow. We first met back in 2020 when you were at a pivotal point in your recovery. I mean, to say that there was a lot going on is an understatement. I'd love for you to start off with sharing a little bit more about what was happening at the time and how we first crossed paths. Um, What happened was I was going through some stuff with the clinic that I was in and they had decided they couldn't see me anymore unless I went to residential. So I was sort of kind of in that transition period and I was panicking, freaking out. And the one thing that 
my therapist had always told me was you need to find more support. You know, and I always translated that to be just within my family or friends. You know, and I would get mad because I'm like, I can't make people like appear. And so when this happened, it was kind of a pivotal point for me to stop and think, okay, what do I want right now? And I chose that I was going to fight. And so what I did, I began, I changed my Instagram accounts. I changed my Facebook accounts. I, everything was set for more body positive and recovery focused things. And somehow I came across your name and you were doing the wholehearted recovery retreat, the five day retreat. And that was the first time that I'd ever heard of you. And I signed up for that. And it was just something about um, that community. I mean, I was ready every day. I would come in, have my notebook. I sat down, took <laughs> notes, kind of dove into it. I really enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. after that happened, um, I just kind of liked, I liked you. I liked the environment. I liked the community. And that's when I decided to continue on with the Courage Club. And so at that point, where were you with your treatments? You mentioned that they were like, we want you to go to residential. Where? Because I know there was kind of a lot going on in your life with getting to the right access of care and the right providers. I was in a rough place. I was in and out of IOP for about 18 or 19 months. And I just kept slipping back. And I think I was at the point where I was just stuck. I didn't know what to do. Didn't know where to go. And when that happened, I mean, I was, I was devastated. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was hurt. It took me a while to kind of get past that. And it took a lot of talking. And I was given a new therapist and he began working with me and he focuses a lot on compassion and mindfulness. And those were things that I've always avoided. And so, you know, I was kind of at that, that point where it's like do or die, you know, and I knew that if I didn't get it together, that death was going to be the only option for me. And I was waiting. What happened was the insurance because of COVID, I was going to go to residential, um, but it took a long time for the, ins- for the insurance and for a single case agreement to happen. And so in the meantime, you know, I began working with somebody new. And uh, by the time it was approved, it was no longer needed. Wow. So you really were able to find the stability and the support you needed within that time, which is so great because some people can then just not take action. So you took action to find support to get with this new therapist. Yeah, because, you know, when I was in treatment, there wasn't a whole lot of thinking for myself. I didn't have to. You know, I was told what to eat, when to eat. If I was to buy pills, I was told to hand them over. If I was to buy a scale, I had to give it back or return it. It was always something there. There wasn't a whole lot of um, thinking that I had to do for myself. This was the first time that I was in a situation where I had, I was accountable for my own actions. My new therapist, he wasn't, he wasn't going to tell me what to do. I remember I went out and I bought a scale. And I told him and he looked at me and he's like, what are you going to do about it? He's like, you know how it affects you. You know, if it helps you, if it hurts you, you know, and he said, it's time that you start being accountable for yourself. And I was hurt. Like I was deeply hurt. Like, oh my God, I can't do this. But in the end, it was exactly what I needed because I had the tools inside of me. I had everything that I needed to progress and it was just time that I started using them. Wow. Yeah. Tell me about this scale, then how has that evolved since you first had that session? And he's like, you know, it's your choice. The scale has always been the biggest thing for me to get rid of. 
that's always been the one thing that it's that was my security, stability, comfort. It's probably been the hardest part of this whole process for me was the scale. I mean, at the clinic, it just it was always an issue. It didn't matter where I was, you know. So I don't get on it right now. I don't weigh myself right now. And my dad got airlifted to the hospital. He was really sick. And I was panicking. I was nervous. I didn't know what was going to happen to him. I was afraid I was going to lose him. And I had no control. I couldn't visit him or anything. And my first thought was, I need my scale. And I mean, there was no logic behind that at all. It was just that was where my head went immediately was I need to go get my scale, you know, and I didn't do it because, I mean, I recognized pretty quick that that's not going to help at all right now. But that just kind of goes to show that it's way more than just a number that I use that scale for. You know, it's it's that comfort and that peace of mind and that safety that I've used it for for over two decades. It's definitely a relationship, relationship with food, relationship with the scale. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when you get on it, there's always a path that it leads to, whether you feel good about the number or bad about the number. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, you also live a very busy life. I mean, I believe you have nine kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Give or take. I mean, I have, I have several that I claim that I haven't officially adopted, but yes, I have a house full. You have a house full. I do. Has that been a process for you to advocate for your own time, your own space to, to do this work? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, there was a lot of guilt. I had a whole lot of guilt. I was always taking care of everybody else, but never myself. And looking back, I think it was easier taking care of other people because it meant less time for me and there was no focus on me. So when I started treatment, I definitely had, it was, it was a process, but I had to prioritize and it took a long time for me to get to where I had to make sure that my treatment or my therapy sessions or whatever it was I was doing became priority, but it was hard. I still struggle every now and then. It's just the guilt factor. You know, I should be more, I don't know, more, more with them or less money here, more there, you know, just, it was things like that. How has your time and the quality of your connection with them improved, though, since you've been doing this work on yourself? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing just to be present, to spend time with them and not be hyper-focused on food or the calories or the number, just to kind of be in the moment. I've never been in that position before. So right now, it's just a whole lot of new experiences. Just it's a new environment, you know, to sit there and ask my kids, you know, do you want to go out to eat? And they say, yeah, I'm like, where do you want to go? And to actually mean that, you know, like I don't, it's wherever you want to go is fine. Like I'm okay with that versus my few comfortable places that were my go-to that were, that were considered to be, I guess, safety for me. So it's definitely, um, it's different just to be out with them in public or at the house to sit down and have a meal or watch a movie and not be thinking all kinds of distorted thoughts around my eating disorder. Yeah. I mean, that right there is worth the investment of your time and your money and everything to be a more present parent. It is. And just connected with yourself more. Have they, have they said anything to you? Have you gotten any feedback from them? Are they, are they aware that this is what you're working on? I think some do and some don't. It's really hard for me to talk about at home. 
And that was a big issue for a long time with me with recovery was that I felt like I was living two different lives. You know, I had to go to the clinic and I was dealing with all these issues and I came home and I had to be the strong one. So I kind of kept everything that I was feeling or dealing with under wraps. And that made for a constant internal emotional battle. You know, so it was it was hard. Some do know. I don't know if they know like the extreme of how things were, kind of what I've gone through. But I mean, like they've met my therapist because she came for dinner um, one time. And so they're aware that I, you know, have therapy and stuff like that. But as far as to the extreme, I'm not, I don't think so. I mean, that's what, I, I think that idea of being the strong one is something a lot of people feel like this, like you have to be this solid as steel and uh, in a way that can create whether you know it's more unconscious, like blocks and barriers, because you're so like you have to be walled up, right, to really feel like I'm the strong one. And I've noticed in some of your gratitudes that it's been where your children have just come to you to give you a hug, and you're like, they never would do this before. Like they like like almost like your protection is like starting to come down. Like the strong walls are like being, uh, you know, just taken down brick by brick, and they're starting to want to come and and embrace you and. Have you kind of found that a little more tenderness in your interactions? I have. I think they've always kind of been that way. It was me. I was closed off. I had that wall up. And it took a very long time for it to come down. You know, I walked into treatment and I had the mentality of, you know, you guys can't help me. You know, I mean, it was just a waste of time. You know, I was only there because, you know, my coach wanted me to go. And I was going to go do the two or three months and then I was going to leave and either be fixed or prove that I was right. That was kind of the way I went into it. And so breaking that wall down was one of the hardest things because that meant letting them in, trusting, vulnerability, just allowing the compassion from somebody else that I never thought that I deserved it was worth. You know, so once I began doing that and developed more of the freedom of expression and talked about my feelings, it did become easier at home. That's definitely, I think, probably one of the hardest things in treatment that I had to deal with was letting that wall down and letting people in. Do you see this going back further in your life? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you always have had, that's kind of been a something... Always, yes. Would you say it's more reserved or more like that kind of tough, like I can handle myself, I don't need any help? Both. Both. Because I felt like if I let you in, that opens up myself to being hurt. And it was also the feeling of I have to keep it together for everybody else. You know, I felt like everybody wanted me to be that strong person. And so to let that wall down made me weak. And that goes back, I mean, I rem remember elementary school. I've always been that way. So to try to change that was, it was, it was a beast. It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. It, yeah, I'm, I still don't like it, but I, I'm doing better with it. <laughs> but I think that's part of it, right? Like you don't have to, like, I don't, we don't have to fall in love with every part of the recovery process. Like, cause I think a lot of it is really challenging, but the rewards of it are worth it. Yeah. Yeah, they are. You know, and I'm seeing that now. And when I look back, a lot of my resistance to the process, it, it was fear. It had nothing to do with what was directly in, in front of me. And that's something that 
just kind of understanding that and realizing that now, it makes it a lot easier for me. You know, like when I went to the clinic for the first time, I completely tried to change their roles. I wasn't trying to break them. I wanted to completely rewrite their book. <laughs> and I tried. I really tried, especially with the scale. I mean, I spent the first three months there debating with them over the scale, trying to change their roles around it, you know, and looking back, whether I agree with it or not now, I do understand their position. And I understand that my resistance was my fear. You know, it was, they were challenging the eating disorder. And I didn't like that. Nobody had ever done that before. So it was a completely new experience for me. Well, until you can see that you are a separate entity, that you and the eating disorder aren't the same, right? So it feels like they're challenging the eating disorder. It feels like they're challenging you. Are you now starting to separate? And it seems like you are, like you're able to separate out the kind of eating disorder as opposed to the recovered you, right? That's what we're really working on is like, who is recovered Tiffany versus eating disorder Tiffany? Oh, definitely. My awareness is, is really heightened. I can definitely separate. I mean, before I wasn't sure where, you know, my ED stopped and I began. So it's definitely been, been a process just to try to figure that out and to realize which part is which. And that's been hard, but it's, it's easy now to step back, I guess, and kind of look at what's in front of me and from there make a decision and realize, you know, this is not going to help me right now. The scale is not going to make me feel any better about my dad, you know, or whatever situation I'm, I'm in front of. So it's, it's gotten a lot easier to separate the two and realize that I'm not one and the same. Yeah, this, I mean, the scale essentially to me symbolizes a distraction, like, ah, pain, like fear, unknown, like dad, sick. Uh, here, let me get a distraction, the scale, like whatever, like I don't even know what's going to happen if I was to go on it, but there's my distraction. There's my, my way to get out, to like leave this situation that I can't control, that I, I feel vulnerable in. There's vulnerability when we don't know if a loved one, what's going to happen with them. There's so much vulnerability there. Right. And it was just that fear of the unknown. You know, I couldn't control what was going on and like, that's where my mind went, but it was easy to recognize that that made no sense. That was not going to help me at all in that moment. It wasn't going to help my dad and it wasn't going to give me what I was looking for. You know, so just the recognizing and being more aware right now has been huge. So what did you do instead? So, you know, at that point, you're probably looking for some security, some certainty, and that's something that you couldn't get in that moment. What what helped you instead of going to the scale in this specific situation? Like what what support tools did you bring in to work with it? My writing is really big for me. Um, I write a lot, whether it's poetry or just journaling. That really helps. And I allowed myself to cry, which is hard at times, but I allowed it. And I reached out. You know, I shared how I was feeling with, you know, my coach. And just kind of putting it out there, not keeping it internalized has always helped. Just sharing, letting people in to support yeah. you. Yeah. I know that's one of the things that I was looking back at when you first came into the Courage Club. You said that you're looking forward to being part of a community of people that understand and you're trying to build out your support network. And so I really see in that at first you're like, I can't just get these people to come support me. Because I understand a lot of people in their families not fully, you know, you can't ask your kids to all of a sudden 
take on this role of being <laughs> your support for your eating disorder because they, they may not be capable of holding that, right? Or or whoever's in your family uh, and just thinking that the support has to come to you versus you seeking out the support. Was that a bit, I mean, that sounds like it was a big shift for you in, in your trajectory, in your story. If I was to look at your your story, when you started to then change that, would you say that really is a big shift? Yeah, that That was hard. I think I had, I was very rigid in my thinking and I wanted things to be a certain way. And so to look outside of that box was difficult, you know, but the one thing that I did realize is that you look for what you seek out. And that's something that I was definitely able to do. And support doesn't always have to be with somebody that, you know, is physically next to you. It can be a positive influence like I turn, like I love Brene Brown. Listening to her podcast or listening to what she says has always been very helpful, especially when it comes to shame. And so much of recovering has to do with letting go of shame. You know, so it was just realizing that there is support out there. Everything's gone virtual. It's just a matter of finding what works for you and then leaving what doesn't. Yeah. I think it's huge to to be able to advocate for your own support and connect to a network. And you also said that you looked for adding uh, coping skills to your toolbox that will help further you in, in your recovery. And you also mentioned about practicing gratitude more. Now, I know that's something that you have seemed to really incorporate into your life. I'm curious to know, if, you know how the gratitude practice, the initial ideas you had around it, because it sounds like sometimes you have your way or the highway. <laughs> And if you didn't like it, let me try it. Uh, so how has it been to start to bring this concept of gratitude into your life? I mean, yeah, I thought it was ridiculous. I did. <laughs> when I first started with you the first round, I don't think I did it one time. I don't think you did. I don't think I ever got on there. I don't think I did. I just didn't. I don't know. In my mindset, it was like, this is ridiculous. Why do I need to sit there and you know write out what I'm grateful for? However, it definitely has helped. I do make it a point now every day, even my kids, I'll ask them periodically, you know, what are you grateful for today? You know, and they'll name off stuff, you know, and I think just at the end of the day, no matter what has happened, there are always things to be grateful for and putting them down, writing them down or whatever format you use is just a reminder and it helps you to be more appreciative. And I have found it, it's definitely become a very important part of my day. I do, I probably go to bed normally and it helps. So when you were first resistant to it, because I think a lot of people have like different ways they will resist it. Were you resistant to it because you're like, I'm a grateful person, whatever, I don't need to talk about it. Like, I don't need to, you know, I'm grateful there, period. I'm grateful. <laughs> or was it that I don't feel grateful at all? Like, I, I, I actually feel like it's hard for me to find things I'm grateful for or just... I don't see how this could benefit me. I was just difficult. I was just negative. I mean, it was just like, why do this? You know, what's, what's the point? I mean, I have an eating disorder. Life sucks. You know, where I'm at right now is in a, I'm in a really bad place. This is not going to help. It wasn't that. I think I felt like there was way more negativity in my life than reasons to be grateful. And but I was just resistant to change. I did not, I didn't, change was really hard for me. And that was something different. You know, I was against that, you know, 
against meditation, all that stuff. It was really hard for me to incorporate any of that into my life. Well, that's kind of showing like when you're in a negative space, sometimes we have to really own that when we're in a negative space, we can sometimes want to be in that space. Like this kind of that like victim, like here, I'm now I'll stay negative, even though, you know, there's a part of you, of course, that wants to, to evolve and find more positivity in your life. And the gratitude is almost this symbol of like positivity, like look for what's good and like, you know, like the bright light and the darkness of the negativity. No, I don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, So would you say now that it, you said that you look at your nighttime, it's a practice that you've really, because I think what's really important for recovery is creating rituals that are positive, like ones that are going to, that you can look forward to that aren't part of the eating disorder because so much of the eating disorder is things that you do daily behaviors that um, end up becoming part of your your routine. Do you find that throughout the day that you're noticing more things you're grateful for? My entire outlook has changed. I intentionally try to avoid negativity. There's no time for it. You know, life is too precious. Life is too short to look at things like that. And I intentionally surround myself with people that have those same values. I'm just, I've spent most of my life in that miserable state and I'm tired of it. Like, I don't want to be there anymore, you know, and I'm not going to surround myself with that atmosphere if I can help it. I love it. How has your work with values helped you and really, you know, aligning then and recognizing what what is meaningful to you, right? Because we all have different values. I think we find that are important to us in life? I think a lot of it was just realizing what I truly want, you know, because so much of my life was focused on the physicality of my goals and really taking a step back and asking myself, what what do I want out of life? You know, with my kids, with my husband, with my friends, just living in general. It was always just so negative and so focused on one direction. You know, when you have an eating disorder, it's hard to think about anything else. And that's where my mind always was, you know, and that wasn't getting me anywhere. And so just being in the environment that I'm in now, with even like with like the haze movement and just the motivational things that I do follow on Instagram, it opened up a whole lot of doors. It showed me that living, well, it's possible to live for one. You know, and that it's it's like once I've ex- once I experienced moments of freedom without the eating disorder, that stuck in my head. And in those moments of I want to quit, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to fight anymore. Those moments of clarity are what helped get me through. Just remembering that you know there are times and it is better because life with an eating disorder is, I mean, it's, it sucks. There's nothing good about it. So it was it's it's been a journey for sure. Yeah, those moments of clarity open you up to the possibility because you're already in it. You're already seeing what's possible when you do take the steps forward and you do say no to the behaviors and yes to to life without the rules and restrictions. It was one of those those aha moments for me. It was my anniversary. And my husband and I, we went out to eat and then we went on a dinner. It wasn't a dinner, but it was a it was a sunset cruise. And so we're on, we're on the boat and, you know, we get a glass of wine and, you know, we get a snack, whatever, and we're sitting there and I could not get the smile off of my face. And it was just weird in that moment. And I'm sure he had no idea what was going through my head, but it was, 
looking out into the water, being in that moment at that time, not worried about food or what was going to happen next or the meal that I had earlier or the meal after the ship or the boat ride. It was all, it was very surreal. And it was the first time that I remember sitting there thinking to myself, so this is what recovery is like. You know, just being in that moment, enjoying where I'm at and being present right then and there. And that was one of the first times that I think I noticed it on that level. So holding on to stuff like that is what keeps me going. I remember seeing that on Instagram. I remember seeing that cruise. I I remember that. I remember that photo of you. The true meaning of that moment was deep. It's so deep that you were able to, you really see like, this is what recovery is all about. This is it. I'm present, present to this experience. That's so cool, Tiffany. So I'm curious to know that of all the work that you've been doing, because you really have been putting in the work and I just want you to acknowledge like how much I've seen you show up to, to change and transform. What have been some rewards that have come from it? You just shared one really amazing one of just being present on your, with your husband and not caring about the food and just being there for that experience. Do you have any other things that have been rewards for all the hard work you put in? Uh, living. Just living. The friendships that I have formed. The acknowledgement. I mean, I've had so many people that have been there for me, that have shown up for me, and that have shown me what it's like to really be there for somebody. And the vulnerability, even just so much as like asking for a hug or something that I would have never done. Like I pushed people away. But, you know, just the, the self-acceptance of all of this, the being present, the realizing that I'm worth it, you know, and that I deserve this. And just being in the moment with where I'm at, you know, and one of the biggest things that I, I think I've taken away is realizing that what I go through or what people say has nothing to do with me. That was always really hard for me, realizing that somebody else's negativity speaks more about them than it does to me. And it doesn't change the fact that I'm still deserving of what I'm fighting for. You know, so there's been, mainly it's just been living, enjoying life for the first time since I was a kid. Someplace I never thought I'd be. That's amazing. We're just a bunch, everybody's just a bunch of walking projections. <laughs> so right. it's like yep. you have to be careful like, you think that what they're projecting onto you. But what's cool what I heard with you is that you, when you're, when you project that you're worthy of support and you project that you want support, then support comes to you. But when you're holding back and you're thinking you're not worthy of support or just pushing people away, well, then support is harder to get. Support doesn't come very easily. And then that can often lead people to go, well, I'm not worthy of it or it just doesn't happen. But it happens when you open up to it, allowing it in. Yeah, what you seek out, you will find. But you have to be open to it. You have to be open to change. And the support may not look how you pictured it looking, but it doesn't mean it's not what you need. And that was just, that was a lesson that I had to learn. You know, because a lot of the ways that I have support now, I would have never thought about before. But it's been exactly what I've needed at exactly the right time to get me where I am today. The Rolling Stones where you can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. <laughs> I feel like it's such a good thing. You're like, I want this support to look exactly like this. This is who I need to support me. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Hey, honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, what has, you know, I love talking with you and it's, once again, I just, you have this fierce determination and it's almost like you needed that like on off switch when you're like off to like letting these things happen, like just off to letting positivity, letting yourself transform. And then you just switch the on switch, like, okay, let's do it. I'm ready. And I feel like you're just taking on this whole new meaning and uh, approach to life. It's awesome. Like you're saying, you're totally different. Just a whole new outlook. The one main thing that I think I learned in treatment or that I found was my voice. I realized the power in my voice and how important it was to advocate for myself. And that was something I never did before. You know, my coach always told me that you're the expert on you. This is your life. You're fighting for it. Speak up. Say what you need to say for you. It may rub people the wrong way, but so what? You know, you're doing what's best for you. And that was something that I, I take away with so much appreciation was that even though it came out, like they, you know, they pissed me off a lot, but I found my voice and I definitely asked for what I needed. And that's a big part of what has gotten me right here. I know if you don't take care of yourself, how can you take care of others or be there for others? That was a hard lesson to learn, but it's true. So true. I know every time people like put the oxygen mask on first, you're like, okay. I mean, because even if you think about it, sometimes your brain's like, yeah, right. I'm a ninja. I could put it on them first right. and like then me and like nothing would happen. <laughs> like I right. could do it. And it's like, well, I mean, no, there's a lot to be said. They wouldn't say that after every single airplane takeoff. <laughs> it wasn't. Right. Um, well, what have been some of the most important things you've already shared a bunch, but if you could think of anything else you haven't said, or just want to reiterate something, what have been the most important things for you to learn to get to the next level of your recovery? I have the power. Ooh. You know, there's always a choice. You can choose to go whichever direction you want, but always choose you. I think that is, that is so important, you know, and just believing that you're capable and you have the ability, you know, and realizing that you, you deserve it just as much as anybody else does. You know, and just the epitome to, to how people have been there for me has been huge. You know, and I'm beyond grateful for all of the support that I've gotten because without that, I'm not sure, you know, where I'd be right now, if I'm being honest. But it's just, just never giving up, never fight. I mean, never quit fighting. You always, there's always a way if you want it, regardless of what it is. I really thought that death was going to be my outcome. You know, so to be on the other side of that right now is a place that I never thought that I would ever be, that I could be. It seemed impossible to get out of the cycle, you know, that I was in. So I've just learned to accept where I'm at. I'm exactly where I need to be at that moment. And, you know, life is a blessing. Just never take it for granted and never give up, never quit fighting for yourself. Even if... Others do, you know, because it's your life. Those are great lessons. Thank you for sharing. How has compassion served you in your recovery? I've always been compassionate to other people, but I've learned how to turn that around on myself. You know, I've learned how to be there for myself. And that's been, it's been difficult, but it's necessary. You know, nobody's perfect. We all make you know, we all make mistakes and instead of beating myself up, you know, when I do, just kind of showing myself some grace and understanding and the same love that I would show to other people has, has been helpful. Hard, very difficult, very difficult, but 
I am practicing that more and I'm definitely trying to make myself a priority and giving myself what I give to others. Love it. Because you're worthy of it. You're worthy of that love and that support and that kindness. How has connection served you in recovery? Connection, I think, is the big one because I never connected with anybody. It was always that wall, you know, and so throughout, um, you know, with, with connection, it helped me to get in touch with my emotions, allow that vulnerability. I was able to sit down and process the grief of my mom's death and really be in that moment and allow whatever I was feeling to come out because of that connection. You know, I have been in so many situations where just letting that wall down and letting people in, whether it be on the outside of treatment or inside or, you know, with my coach or whoever that was, it's, um, I've learned to trust all because of that connection, the eye contact, you know, avoiding the eye contact because that's letting somebody in, you know, so just embracing that and feeling confident enough within myself and realizing that people do care. You know, people do want to be there. And if they don't, it's on them, but there are ones that do. And so letting, letting, letting them in, but just realizing that if it wasn't for that connection piece, I don't know if I would have got anywhere in treatment if I would not have let that wall down on some level. It was slow, but eventually, and it's still up a little bit, but I'm getting there. It's like a drawbridge. Like, oh, so, oh, right, put it back right, up. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, even, I mean, even with the wall of like a blank screen and Zoom versus a video, I remember in the initial, the first round of the Courage Club, you were like, black screen, Tiffany, like she's there. <laughs> is she there? We don't know. Because, you know, is she listening or is she do, doing something else? And then you've been like, on camera, staying till the end, uh, talking and just showing up. And so it's, I mean, that is, that's it. That's the transformation is showing up, being seen. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was just scared before. It was fear, wanting to be hidden in the background, you know, but I realized that that's not, that's not my true self. You know, I have a voice and I want it to be heard. Mm-hmm. And I'm so much happier that, that you're, at that place because I love hearing love hearing you and seeing you. Uh, how has courage served you in recovery? Courage helped me in those moments where I wanted to quit. I thought there was no way out. The fear was too intense. You know, and I believe that, you know, whenever something is that scary or you're that afraid, you're going to stay stuck unless you move towards that. At least to be curious as to why. You know, what's keeping you there, you know, and I've always had the mentality of, you know, feel the fear and do it anyways, you know, and because of that courage, it allowed me to stand up for myself in treatment, speak my mind, say what I feel, advocate when I felt like my voice was the one that needed to be advocating for myself, not my treatment team. You know, I'm the one that lives this life. My voice matters, you know, and so having that courage, not knowing the outcome, but Feeling and being afraid and still stepping out of my comfort zone and doing what I need to do is what helped make a lot of progress. I think a lot of people respected that. Some didn't. I don't care. But it's always about, it was always about that next step for me. You know, and if it wasn't for courage, I'd probably still be in front of you right now with a black screen, you know, hiding. (laughs) (laughs) Doing this right now, like right now with you, this took courage. This was hard. 
and you're doing such a good job. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today, for sharing your story. It's so inspirational. And yeah, I've seen you come so far and it's just beautiful to to watch you continue to transform and become more of yourself and really advocate for yourself and share your voice. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Tiffany. I'm so proud of her journey and her fierce determination to recover. She really helps us see and know that change is possible. Now let's go over the three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one, embrace vulnerability. Tiffany felt like she needed to be the strong one, especially when it came to her kids. I can relate to this so much. It's often the strong ones that need the most help. When you go through life with the, I need to do it all on my own attitude, this can really just be a defense from being let down because maybe in the past, people weren't there for you. And so you're not going to expect or hold your breath for them to be there when you truly need them. I know exactly how this feels and how hard it is to break the pattern of actually opening up and asking for help and showing that you are a human and have needs because we all have needs. And the reality is, is if your needs were not historically met, well, then trusting someone to meet them now can be a challenge. It is an obstacle to overcome. And this is why an armor of self-reliance can develop. And essentially, this armor gives a sense of security and safety because you don't have to rely on anyone else but yourself. Now, the trade-off is your walls become so high and so thick that no one can get in. For Tiffany, even when she was in the depths of her eating disorder, she had a hard time letting her walls down. Once she did this and embraced vulnerability, everything changed. I was closed off. I had that wall up and it took a very long time for it to come down. I walked into treatment and I had the mentality of, you know, you guys can't help me. I mean, it was just a waste of time. You know, I was only there because, you know, my coach wanted me to go. That was kind of the way I went into it. And so breaking that wall down was one of the hardest things because that meant letting them in, trusting, vulnerability, just allowing the compassion from somebody else that I never thought that I deserved it was worth. Once I began doing that and developed more of the freedom of expression and talked about my feelings, it did become easier at home. That's definitely, I think, probably one of the hardest things in treatment that I had to deal with was letting that wall down and letting people in. Eating disorders and the shame that fuel them feed on secrecy and isolation, and the pain can become unbearable. To feel utterly and totally helpless but afraid to ask for help is real. Opening up is the anecdote. Allow your walls to come down. Yes, this can be terrifying, especially when you're so used to the false security of the walls you hide behind. But remember, you don't have to love every part of the recovery process. Parts of it are really challenging, but the rewards are worth it. And walls don't always have to be bulldozed down. You can take them down brick by brick too. So that is key takeaway number one, embrace vulnerability. Key takeaway number two, your eating disorder is a separate entity from you. It's common to feel like your eating disorder defines you or that it's your whole identity. I mean, when you're living with the thoughts and behaviors day in and day out, they can appear to be something that will never go away. But never say never. While your eating disorder can absolutely be a huge part of your life and affect every area of it, 
your eating disorder is a separate entity from you. Learning to separate your eating disorder self from your recovered self is key to recovery. For Tiffany, she felt like her care team was challenging her when they were challenging her eating disorder. Tiffany explains how she realized that her and her eating disorder were not one in the same. Before, I wasn't sure where, you know, my ED stopped and I began. So it's definitely been been a process just to try to figure that out and to realize which part is which. And that's been hard, but it's it's easy now to step back, I guess, and kind of look at what's in front of me and from there make a decision and realize this is not going to help me right now. The scale is not going to make me feel any better. So it's it's gotten a lot easier to separate the two and realize that I'm not one in the same. Separate the two and realize that you and your eating disorder are not one in the same. That was key takeaway number two. Your eating disorder is a separate entity from you. Key takeaway number three. Embrace your voice and advocate for yourself. For so long, Tiffany kept quiet. She didn't use her voice and didn't speak up about her needs. In recovery, she found her voice and learned to use it. The one main thing that I think I learned in treatment or that I found was my voice. I realized the power in my voice and how important it was to advocate for myself. And that was something I never did before. My coach always told me that you're the expert on you. This is your life. You're fighting for it. Speak up. Say what you need to say for you. It may rub people the wrong way, but so what? You know, you're doing what's best for you. And that was something that I I take away with so much appreciation was that even though it came out like that, you know, they pissed me off a lot, but I found my voice and I definitely asked for what I needed. And that's a big part of what has gotten me right here. You are the expert on you. Nobody can advocate for you or speak up for you as well as you can. Like Tiffany, you can use your voice and advocate for your treatment and care as you walk the path of recovery. Some people may not like it when you start to use your voice. And that is okay. Because it's not about them. It's about you living authentically and vulnerably sharing your truth. So embrace your voice and advocate for yourself. These are our three key takeaways from this conversation with Tiffany Folk. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior.